Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us for today's session. My name is JD Clark, and I'm the Executive Director of Recruitment and Admissions for the Master's Programs here at Ivy. You know, I want to start this session by just doing a quick introduction, then we're going to get right to our alumni and the purpose uh, for today's session. But I want to start with just setting this up for you is that our role, uh, you know, here at Ivy to support you through the application process and as you consider an MBA is to really help you with this decision and to really support you in anything that we can do around this decision. And one of the things that we recognize is that as candidates, you're flooded with information. You know, whether it's in forums, different podcasts, information sessions, but you're flooded with information. And some of that information is really highly useful, but also some of that information is simply false. And what we've done is we've developed this series called Mythbusters. And the best way to kind of find out about the actual, you know, what is real and what is false is to really hear from individuals that have gone through the program. And that's a great way for you to kind of learn a little bit more about the program and a little bit more about the decision to do an MBA program. This session, we're really gonna focus on, you know, what it is to come to Canada to do an MBA program, but, and specifically what it is like to come to Canada uh, to really study here at Ivy. And so we've got three great alumni that are joining us today that actually came to Canada, still in Canada to do their MBA studies. And so, you know, before I turn it over to them for introduction, I wanna give you a little bit of advice. And this is really as you're considering coming to Canada for your MBA program, don't consider yourself as an international candidate. Consider yourself as a global MBA candidate. That global experience that you have is extremely valuable, both for the diversity within the classroom, but also to employers here in Canada as well. And I'm sure that you'll hear a little bit more about that uh, from our alumni. So with that, uh, we'll get started. And I'm gonna have the alumni to introduce themselves very quickly maybe talk about uh, where they lived pre-Ivy before coming to Canada for their MBA studies and where they are living and working uh, now. So Stanley, uh, you're the furthest away, so I'll start with you. So why don't you go first? Oh, thanks, JD. Um, so, so good to be here talking to you folks. Um, I was once in your shoes, so it's so exciting to be speaking with you all. So my name is Stanley Opara, and I am a 20... 18 IV graduate. So before IV, I lived in Nigeria and then moved to the UK a few years before I moved to IV. And uh, my background, I mean, the oil and gas business have been right from the start. And I got into IV with that mindset of, you know, maybe transitioning uh, country and then my career industry as well. But we can talk more about that later, how things progressed. That's me. Thank you. That's great. And Urvashi, I'll go over to you. Hi, everyone. I am Urvashi from India. Um, before um, joining Ivy, I was working as a product manager in a healthcare startup. I'm a humanities undergraduate. I switched a couple of roles before Ivy, and I joined Ivy to get some to update my skills and get some exposure to how global business is done. And uh, post Ivy, I am set to join a big bank in Canada starting next month. So that's about me. And I'm from the COVID batch of um, uh, MBA from Ivy. So yeah. yeah. So Vashi just finished the program uh, just this year. So, and William, over to you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, really excited to meet you all today. Um, my name is William. I am, I am originally from Vietnam. I spent time like, across like, different uh, like, countries for, for the last 10 years before moving over to Canada to do my, uh, to do my MBA back in 2018. And then while I was at IV, I got an, an offer to go back into consulting in Toronto. Yeah, that's great. So how we'll do this session is we'll probably spend about 45 minutes just covering various topics. I will moderate the discussion. And then what we'll do is at the end of this, we'll open it up for 15 minutes on Q&A. And my colleague, Lindsay Lippman, will help moderate that uh, Q&A for the last uh, 15 minutes. So any questions that you have. I should also mention that we will be recording this session and make it available on our website as well. So I just wanted to uh, mention that. So what I wanna start with is just talk about sort of this transition as you complete the MBA and into working in Canada and particularly around the postgraduate work permit process. And how the postgraduate work permit process works is that you are given a postgraduate work permit for the same length of the program. So with a one-year program, you are guaranteed a minimum of a one-year postgraduate work permit. 
but there's always a lot of anxiety around candidates about a one-year permit versus maybe a program that might be two years that would provide you a multi-year postgraduate work permit. So what we want to do is cover those myths about how you transition from a postgraduate work permit and, and stay in Canada and work. And so, William, I'm going to start with you and just talk about your process of sort of finishing the MBA program and then transitioning to a postgraduate work permit. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the process was um, fairly straightforward for me. Um, so I completed my MBA program um, and then submit the application online, which was very straightforward, I would say, because everything was clearly laid out on the um, CIC website. And so once I submitted my um, application, I believe, wow, it's, it's been like two years ago, um, I was allowed to work while waiting for the this for the decision, and so and so it it by me it brought me a bit of time a few months before the actual um, timeline listing, and then within a year um, I was eligible for, to apply for Canadian permanent residency, and so I I actually only need that I work permit for for a few months in my case specifically. Yeah, that's great. I think you touched on something really important, William, that, and, and I'll go back, the intention of the postgraduate work permit is exactly what William used it for. It's a bridge. And it's a bridge for you to apply for PR. So very different than a US uh, program where you get the green card is the postgraduate work permit is a bridge for you to uh, really cover that time period to your permanent residency comes in. And we provide a lot of support for you, both at the university and, and before you come as a candidate to help you transition to PR because you really, really want to transition to a permanent residency because you need that as a path to citizenship. So uh, that's important. So Avashia, I'm gonna go to you because, because this is it. So you started the program with a student visa and then while you were in the program, you actually transitioned uh, to become a permanent resident. So I, I wonder if you could just talk about that a bit. Yes, sure. That's a very interesting and important part. There's a common myth that if your student permit is in process uh, or if your PR is in process, you shouldn't apply for student permit. But that's not the case. I applied for both of them simultaneously. And first, my study permit came in. And after a month, I think in February starting, my PR also came in. So um, I came to Ivy as a student and then I transitioned to a permanent resident. So that was something very interesting that happened with me. Yeah, that's great. And Stanley, what about your experience? Anything that you'd like to add? Oh, you're on mute. Sorry, Stanley. So just, Somebody had to be the first, right? Yep, yep. Uh. <laughs> so just exactly as it happened to Vashi, that's how it happened for me. So I came into Ivy with my student permit. And um, in September of 2017, I got my permanent residence. So similar story. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that um, you are, you're applying for a student permit shouldn't stop you from applying for the permanent residence as well, just like as Vashi said. Yeah, and maybe I'll, I'll just, if you think back about your time when you were applying, like many, you know, the individuals that are uh, on with us today or, or listening to this, you know, how did, how did you kind of weight those concerns of, you know, a one-year postgraduate work permit versus like a two or three-year one? And how did you kind of, do your research to say, hey, look, this wasn't a concern and, and any advice around that. So uh, maybe William, I'll go to you first maybe, and then and then ask Urvashi and Stanley to chime in if there's anything they'd like to add. Yeah, for sure. Um, if, I, if I could be honest, I think initially it, it was a concern for me, obviously, um, because I didn't do my research really well before applying to IB. Um, but then once I did the research, I realized that um, with my profile, with the number of experience and, then, and, and a, a master degree from, from Ivy, I would be eligible for Canadian citizenship, I'm sorry, um, Canadian PR uh, very quickly. So the one year work permit um, actually didn't concern me that much in that process uh, when I did my research. Oh, great. And Urvashi and Stanley, anything you add if you think back about that time when you were first applying and and maybe heard a lot of concerns about maybe just a one-year permit and, and how you kind of, you know, realize that that's not really a concern. Yeah, for sure. So um, I also had similar concerns uh, that whether one year versus two year program, whether I should go for it if uh, I would be getting enough time to find work. But then I spoke to a lot of uh, alumni and I got to know that 
one year versus two year is not really concerned because you do get enough time. One year is enough time for you to find a uh, suitable work. And secondly, there are opportunities that you might just get more than one year of PGWP. So that's also a case that can happen. So uh, that uh, made me have confidence that I'm, I will, I'm going to apply for a one year program. Yeah. And that's an important point is that, and I don't know if this was a case with any of uh, you three, but you're, you're guaranteed a minimum of one year, but that doesn't mean that you can get more than one year. Did any of you get more than one year on your postgraduate work permit? I guess, Urvashi, it didn't matter to you, you had PR already, but William or Stanley? Or was um, it extended past the one year? Not, not exactly extended, but, but once I'm in the firm, in the consulting firm, I got to know that my consulting firm got they have the entire law firm that will support me if anything goes wrong in that process. Yeah. They even pay for um, the um, loyal fee and the application fee, which I didn't um, really need. Cause, but uh, but um, there's a lot of support from employer side of things as well. That's great. Yeah, just to chime in there. So uh, for me, I did, I did get the PR before, um, before the end of the program. So I didn't really need a postgraduate work permit. But Talking about the decision to apply to a one-year program or a two-year program, I was moving with my family, with a wife and two kids. There was no way I was going to be out of out of work for more than one year. So that decision was was pretty easy for me to to make up my mind that I was going to go to Ivy. It's a one-year program, and I was a bit comfortable with the fact that with a one-year postgraduate work permit, if I needed it at the time because I didn't have the PR, I thought the time was enough. And one thing you should realize is. Canada needs very smart people. They need immigrants to come in to contribute to the economy. And you are making a decision to attend one of the elite business schools in the country. There's no way they're gonna kick you out of the country. It's just not, it's not possible, right? Yeah. So you come in, know that you will stay if that's what you wanna do. You will be given the opportunity to remain. And so, yeah, that's, that was the case for me when I decided yeah. to. That's great. Thanks, Stanley, so much. And, and one thing I should mention and uh, is we provide a lot of support for you. So when you get an admissions offer, we have an immigration consultant that we work with on consignment that can help guide you, you know, just to understand how the process works as you come in, understand what the student visa process is like to provide you support. And then once you become a student, there's a lot of support at the university as well around filling out the information around the permanent residency and stuff. So Ravashi, I'll go to you because the recency factor, but did you work with Ragid, who is our immigration consultant before you uh, arrived? And what yes, was your I experience did. like in that support, how it helped you? It was really, really good. He was uh, very responsive. I used his services for student permit because I had zero idea about well, how to go ahead. No idea about what is PGWP. Those, those are the basic questions I asked him that uh, how, how the process is and what should I get started with? And it, it was a very smooth process. He was very, very responsive. And he gave all the information that I needed at the time I wanted it. And the process is very straightforward for study permit. There are a set of documents that they need. You just have to provide them very timely and apply it just within the time frame that you are about to start your program so that you have enough uh, room for yourself. And uh, it was very, very straightforward. And I had everything that I needed from uh, the consulting, Ragit's consulting, uh, pretty immediately and whenever I wanted it. So it was very, very good experience. That's great. I think that support's really important because we wanna make sure that you get solid advice and you know, in the spirit of the myths, there's a lot of myths about the student visa and the postgraduate work permit and the, the permanent residency. And so this is somebody to help guide you on a confidential basis as you uh, go through that, uh, that process. Anything you wanna add just about the postgraduate work permit or anything else before we move on to our next theme, which is to talk about London as a location uh, to study? Maybe I, I can touch on the, um, the uh, support from the immigration consultant a bit. I sure. don't recommend everyone to do this, but at the time, like back in December, 2017, um, it was holiday mode and I wasn't really paying attention to applying for visa. So I didn't really know much about the process. So I reached out for like very basic questions and, and the uh, immigration consultant back then was really, really helpful. And that support continues even after I was at IB. I remember there was time, a few times that the consultant dropped in at school and I came in and asked questions, not for my student visa, but like for, for, for my permanent residency. Um, and then, cause I have a, a couple of junior questions uh, for my own um, circumstance. 
And so um, she was super helpful. And that speaks um, volume about like, um, the amount of support that you would, you would get. But I don't recommend everyone not doing that research like I, uh, like I did before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't wait till December. That's the takeaway, yeah. right? So yeah. Um, so the next theme we're going to talk about is, is the location of where we are in London. And so just to give you a sense for those not familiar is we are located in southwestern Ontario. We are about uh, two hours southwest of uh, Toronto. Um, and so uh, the population of London is around 360,000. So we're, we're sort of a small city and a big town is probably the best uh, way to describe it. Um, you know, I, I didn't grow up in London. Lindsay actually did, who's on the call. And, uh, uh, but I have considered this my adopted hometown. So I've lived in London longer than I have lived uh, anyplace else. So I love London. Uh, there's a lot of great things about it. But I think what's important is you don't want to hear from me or Lindsay. You want to hear from the students and what their experience was like studying in London. And one of the myths that we have around, and I'm going to start, is you're not located in Toronto. And Toronto is where most of the individuals will go for jobs afterwards. And, and again, that's a function of the size of Toronto, and that's where many of the employers are. So one of the things I want to start is just, you know, how does it work when, you know, you're located in London? Did you feel it was a disadvantage around the networking? You know, how did that kind of uh, um, exist for you? So, uh, you know, Stanley, maybe I'll start with you and, and just talk about your experience uh, being in London and just uh, on the job search aspect of things uh, you found London uh, versus being in Toronto. Sure, sure, JD. You know what? Pre-COVID, this was probably a concern. But now with COVID, anything is possible virtually, right? Jobs and everything is possible virtually. But I'll talk from my experience, which was pre-COVID and you know that uh, sense of you need to be in Toronto to actually land a job. I think that's not totally correct. There's this thing about um, coffee chats, being able to book coffee chats impromptu or beat someone you know, after, without prior notice, that's there. But people you're networking with in the first place, you need to be you know, very thoughtful and organized. So even if you were in Toronto, you will have to book meetings with them ahead of time. And being in London is just a few hours away from Toronto. I did find that I was able to get to Toronto to attend meetings, coffee chats with people and come back to London you know, to attend classes. It was that easy to do. So it wasn't much of a concern because I was in London and that idea that you won't be able to secure coffee chats or have networking opportunities, I don't think it's entirely true. At least for me, that's what I found. found. Yeah. What about you, William? Yeah, um, I, I think Stanley touched on, on something that's really important like post-COVID. We're gonna live in, in, in a very new normal. But um, my job set um, took place in 2018, which was um, pre-COVID. And I, at the time I felt the need to be in Toronto a couple of times. And so I did go to Toronto uh, for, for networking. Um, for like a couple of days, and there was a there were a day that I kind of jumped from coffee chat to the next one, and I, I did that for like ten coffee chats in a day, and I drank so much coffee that I couldn't sleep last night, and so I, it became so so tiring that I thought maybe I should try like do virtual and, and phone call only, and so I I moved back to London um after that um those like two days, and I, I did all my coffee chats um via phone. I didn't I didn't have like video um virtual co uh, coffee chat at the time. I mostly like phone call with the, with the alumni. And all the jobs that I've got um, were all from networking and, and coffee chats. And the, the job, the first job that I got was also from a phone call. After 10 minutes, um, the alumni said that um, he would be uh, referring me to uh, the hiring manager. So I don't think we, we really need to be in, in Toronto um, to do th those coffee chats. And it saves so much time for both the alumni and also for the students. Personally, right now, if anyone reached out, I would say, let's do a phone call because for safety reason and even after everyone is vaccinated i don't think i'm going to meet um in person because it's a lot of time to kind of move out of my office and go to a, a, a coffee chat and then move back um it's just so inconvenient for me personally yeah it's funny you say that william if somebody asked me i can't say a year but 16 months ago you know uh let's have a virtual coffee chat i'd be like i don't do that right like let's let's meet in person the next time i'm in toronto and, and now I think afterwards, just because of the function of time and you can actually network much more with it and we're all comfortable with it. I think that's an important point. 
So in that, I'm going to go to Ravashi, and I left you last on purpose because you did the program during COVID. So you could talk about sort of the networking and what your experience was, because all of your networking would have been done virtually. So sure. yeah, uh, so our experience was very different and something that nobody had thought about or prepared about for. But it kind of worked out well for us because it a it saved so much of time because going to Toronto and then coming back is a little bit of you know um, spending time. So it saved so much of time. And secondly, because everyone was doing uh, networking virtually, it gave us so more opportunities to network with even larger group. So that was uh, something that worked out in our favor. And thirdly, uh, we all we all would agree to the fact that uh, London has very affordable rentals as compared to Toronto. So we were saving on our rentals, we were saving on our transportation costs and one year program. So there was some expenses saving on that as well. And then the entire community student feel is something that you cannot deny about being in a smaller city than Toronto. So things worked out as a matter of fact, pretty well for us because of COVID and uh, it, it uh, virtual networking helped me to prepare for the role that I'm uh, going to join in so kind of worked out well for me and for the entire batch in fact that's great so i'm going to go to that next i'm going to talk about the community in london and sort of you know the fact that you're really studying in a university town and and how that helps with the community and how very quickly you become very very close with your classmates and sort of the benefit of the location to that networking uh, to that uh, class uh, community. I, I want to say one thing, and I think this is an, a very important point for you to recognize, is that the recruiters are going to come to where the talent is. They are not concerned about where the program is. They're not concerned that the program is conveniently located. They, they want to recruit the best talent. And what they're going to do is they're going to recruit the best talent to where they are, no matter where the location of the MBA program is. And that's a really important thing for you to consider. So, um, so let me talk about, you know, and I'm just going to open it up and, and really it's going to be a very simple question is talk about your experience of living in London and Stanley, I'm going to start with you just to give you a heads up because you came here with a family, right? Okay. So talk about the experience of living in London and what the community is like, but really how that played into the whole experience of doing an MBA program and sort of that class culture, which is important as well. Thanks, Judy. Um, so it's really important if you have a family, right? And you're considering joining IV, I don't think you would want to be anywhere else than London. Maybe I'm biased. <laughs> Maybe I'm biased because I went through through the program and I lived in London for, for a year, actually more than a year. We loved it so much, we stayed on just a bit, <laughs> a bit more after IV. So I'll talk about, um, I'll, in, in two segments. So first one about my family in, in London, and then second, I'll talk about my personal experience and being in a, you know, a small town with very close knit student body. So London for, for families is just amazing because you have everything you need. You have schools close by. So I lived in Platts Lane, so a school at Platts Lane where you could have the kids just walk through the, the path and they're in school. And um, there are playgrounds everywhere. I joke that London has more playgrounds than any other town outside. There are play, tons of playgrounds where you can just release the kids and they go spring Springbank is amazing. We go there. All, we used to go there all the time to just let the kids run out and burn all that energy. So for family, it's good. And then cost as well. If you have a family, it's it's more cost effective to live in a town like London for things like rent and all those things. It's more cost effective. I found during my time there um, in in London than say Toronto, right? So yeah. So in terms of family, I, I loved it. It was really good. Been in London. Then for me as the student in London, it doesn't get much better than, you know, you come into a town and what everyone else has to do is study. Everyone in, in, in London is there for one reason, and that is to study. That's why we're all there. People have left everywhere and they're there to study. And the only thing you focus on is your classmates because you've left your family, you know, apart from the few of, of those in the class who were from London, most people, 98%, 99% of people were from outside London. So you did not know anyone else. The only people you knew were people in your right. class. So that kind of like forced you to form this bond within the class. And you just, you go out together, you have drinks together, you, you do everything together as a class unit. And you cannot be that feel. Unlike 
say you're in Toronto, where people just have other things going on, that class cohesion is not nearly as strong as it is when you're in a place like London. That was my personal experience. That's great. William, anything to add for, on your part? And the students, I think it's important just on Stanley's point, the students all live very close together, right? Like within a certain radius. And, and so uh, that adds a lot. So you'll probably be in an apartment building or close by to somebody that is a classmate. So uh, William, anything to add that, that what your experience in, in London, so. Yeah, I, I think Stanley covered it really well. I, I just wanna add one thing from, from my own personal experience because I came to Canada alone on my own. So my family, my families are in Vietnam, in Europe, and everywhere else except Canada. So I was a bit concerned. And then I came from, I lived in a city which had 10 million people. So coming to London was, was quite a, um, a, a big adjustment. But the first morning um, I wake up in London, it was amazing. Like it's so quiet. I live in Windermere, um, in, in Windermere um, kind of residential area, and then my friends, a lot of my friends was also living with their family in Winnemere. And so we got really close. And actually my best friend, my best friend from business school um, lived not too far from, from, where, from where I was. Uh, and, and because we, we live so close together in London, it kind of forces you to, to really kind of invest in that friendship. And, and to, the, to the point that my, my, my best friend like drove me to school every day, like back and forth. And even for, for, for when I, um, he doesn't have a classes at school. And, and so um, that kind of connection, um, I think I have to thank London for, for, for kind of enforcing that because in Toronto, you have so much more distraction. Yeah, that's great. Just to put it in perspective, London, I, I mean, this is always fascinating when you talk to people outside of Canada, just to, so London is the 10th largest city in Canada at 360,000. So uh, it's, uh, <laughs> But, but for many individuals, it feels very, very, back to your point, William, very small. So, And so, Arvashi, I'll go to you because you are just recently moved from London. So maybe talk about your experience being in London. And interesting to hear from your perspective, too, in COVID and where you couldn't maybe gather to the same extent as your classmates and how that location helped uh, the class, too. Yeah. So uh, when we came to London, we had no idea that COVID is going to be there. And after right. first week of classes, we went all virtual. And that was the time we realized that support is so important, knowing that your classmates are just living all around you. And whenever you need, if you're falling sick, if you need any help, if you're getting stuck in any subject, for example, I needed a lot of help in finance. So I can always tell my friends or tell, bring someone up that, hey, I'm having some problems and I need to speak to someone. There's so much help around. And that's when we felt that it's, it's such a blessing to be in a small community, to be in a small place where everyone is all around you. And whenever you need help, there will be someone to, to be there for you. So that was a pretty great thing. And secondly, in COVID, you were not really allowed to go anywhere else. So parks were our best friends. So whenever we got the opportunity, we would go to park. Whenever it was allowed, we would go to park. So that was uh, something that really worked out for us. And we'll be thankful that we were in London uh, during COVID time, because had we been in Toronto, I don't know what we would have done. Yeah, great, thanks so much. So before I move on to the last thing is just talk about a one-year program without the internship versus a two-year program with an internship. That would be the last theme that we cover. Uh, before the Q&A, is there anything that you'd like to add about London, just uh, as a location that we haven't talked about or you know, how you networked with alumni and how that came about? Anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to add before we move on? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Great. So the last thing I want to talk about is there's always this myth around about a disadvantage, especially coming to Canada for an MBA program and not having that internship. And so what I want to do is kind of, you know, talk about your experience in it, but I'm going to set it up in this way. And, and you know, one of the things I would strongly, strongly suggest you do is don't self-select yourself out. Don't think that I don't want to do a one-year program because you know, how am I going to transition to Canada? How am I going to do that internship that is there? As we provide a lot of support around it. Just to give you some background, we transitioned about 15 years ago to a one-year program. When we did that, we actually cut our class size in half. And we actually did that with a lot of consultation with recruiters. So we would never have made that decision if the recruiter said, hey, look. And one of the things we realized is that, you know, is that really when you think about doing a one-year program versus a two-year program, there may be individuals that may need a two-year program, 
but we will help you make that decision. And the reason and how we help you is the admissions process, our interviews, and this is very unique to Ivy, our interviews are done by our career coaches in the MBA program. And the reason they do the interviews is they wanna kind of get to know your experience, but they also are the individuals that know what recruiter expectations are. So we want to make sure it's to our benefit that you know, we feel when you are admitted into the program that we feel that you are a strong fit for a one-year program and you don't need that internship. So I kind of want to set it up that way is that there's a lot of support that we make for the decision. And again, I strongly suggest that you don't say that, hey, look, you know, this is a way that you know, this is sort of a disadvantage or self-select yourself out. We're going to help you make that decision. So I'm gonna talk uh, and you know, maybe I'll go to you William first, is just talk about this idea between a one-year and a two-year program and sort of your decision of where you came into the one-year program and is there any truth to this aspect about an internship? So I'll go to you, William. Yeah, for sure. And, and just to set, to set the context, I was admitted into um, Ivy and one other school um, which was a two-year program. And so when I weighed my decision uh, between all the financial factors and then the amount of experience that I brought um, to Ivy and to, to Canada, I think it made sense for me at the time not to enroll in a two-year program uh, because of a lot of different things. Could be financial, could be time saving, and time out of the market. Because if you stay out of the market for two years, that's going to be a, um, a disadvantage when you uh, reapply for to be back in the um, in the workforce. And so when I weighed my decision, like one-year program made a lot of sense for me. And and at Ivy, I I believe we still use that um call, like trust the process. And so when I select you, I think you should have absolute confidence in yourself and in your experience that it's going to work. And as someone new coming into that to IV program three or four years ago, I was still kind of doubtful at the time. But like five months into the program, I'm, I, I got my job offer. And, and over the last, let's say, 15 years, I think the numbers speak really well for itself. Yeah. That's great. And Urvashi, what about you? What was, uh, what was sort of your experience around it? Yeah, so just like William, I was also, before joining Ivy, I was also thinking about one year versus two years, but financial factors and just that thought of staying out of the job market for two years did not make sense. And I spoke to a lot of alumni from Ivy. And the feedback that I got was that one year program is good enough for you to explore your op options, see where you fit, and also make your mind and then focus wherever you feel that you want to go. If you want to go to consulting, if you want to want to go to financial services, it's enough for you to explore and then uh, make your targeted moves. So the, after speaking to a lot of alumni, I got the confidence and that's what I felt as well, that it's enough for you if you start searching, if you start assessing your fit right from the beginning, it's enough to explore as well as then to start moving towards wherever you set your goal at. That's great. And Stanley, yourself, so. No, yeah, so I, for me, it was a no brainer, right? I said that earlier, I did not want to be out of the job market for more than one year. So it was easy to, that decision was easy to make. But if, even without that factor, and let's just spend just one year for an MBA program, think about it. Why do you need an internship, right? Internship basically is to help you build a network to help you get to meet people within the work setting that are able to make introductions to enable you land a full-time job at the end of the day. Ivy does all that for you. Ivy you know, helps you make those connections with people who are already working, alumni like myself and the others on the panel who are already working, who already know how the job market operates. So if you have that connection from Ivy, some people still think they need, an, they need an internship, but from experience, once you build that alumni connection, that's your way in. That's how you get into the job market. And sometimes you might not necessarily need the internship you think you need at the end of the day because it kind of like achieves the same purpose the internship does. That's great. So I'm gonna talk about the support that we provide you know, from our career management team when you come in here. And, and specifically as a student coming in from outside of Canada to kind of you know, understand the Canadian landscape. And, and Stanley, I'm gonna to go to you first. And, and because to talk about this networking is a really important aspect of, um, you know, the job search and recruitment in Canada. And, and networking may mean very different across different cultures and everything else. And the reason I'm going to Stanley first is 
Stanley, I'll let you do a plug for your podcast. So Stanley just started a podcast and one of his first episodes was around this idea. It's called The Immigrant Story. And it was around this idea of networking. So Stanley, I'm gonna to go to you, talk about networking, but really how we support students coming in from outside of Canada to kind of understand the landscape and, and, and you know, even touch upon the importance of the Ivy Alumni Network as well to help you build that network right away when you, you first arrive in Canada. Okay, no thanks, JD. JD has um, given me the free range to advertise my podcast, so no charges, JD, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I started a podcast recently. This is called the Immigrant Story Podcast, basically to, you know, I, I'm an immigrant. Uh, other people come through. I look at my class um, at Ivy. You know, we had lots of immigrants there, just a, a platform for people to share their stories and how they integrated into the Canadian society. And and um, on, on, that, on that podcast, episode one, we did talk about networking a fair bit. And uh, I'll share some of the things we talked about there. And I'll peel, I'll peel these onions a little bit. So one, what is networking in Canadian context? What does that actually mean? It's different in Canada, you know, the way networking operates, at, like it operates in my home country where I come from, Nigeria, for example. It's a bit different. So in Canada, it's actually possible to reach out to someone and say, hey, can I have a chat with you for say five, 10 minutes, right? Someone you don't know, no connection at all. And they'll be like, yes, for sure, we can talk. We can, yeah, this is the time that works for me. Now that's one layer. The next layer is an alumni, someone you share a common, a common bond with. You guys went to the same university and you reach out and say, hey, can we have a conversation? In my experience at Ivy, you know, reaching out and having those networking emails go out, 80% of the time, the alumni will come back and say, of course, we can talk. And why is that the case? It is the case because most of them, like myself, if anyone reached out to me and I said, hey, can we have a chat? Because I went through that process and I know how important it is for someone who is so confused about the job market, trying to get your feet into the market, I know how it was for me. It's, it's what we call paying it forward, right, at Ivy. We're able to say, yes, of course, I'll have a chat with you. And that's the first level. And the way we approach networking is you've got to be intentional. You've got to know exactly what it is you want to achieve when you send out a note to reach out to, a, to an alumni. Or not just an alumni, to anyone you think that might be of help you see on LinkedIn. But alumni are great because you share a common bond, right? So you have to be intentional. And most of the time, if you go with very purposeful questions, you go with the, the, the mindset of, I want to get to know you. I want to get to understand what you do and walk me through your process, right? It, it doesn't have to be transactional. You're not there to say, hey, I need a job now. How about next week? Can I get it? No, that's not, the, that's not the way. But you go intentionally. I want to get to know you. Walk me through your process. This is the challenge I have. How can I navigate this? And most of the time, people are very generous, they're gracious, and they will share their story with you on how they've navigated the process um, through their networking journey. And it's very important as well in Canada because most of the time, you will land a job through networking. That is the truth. It's very important. And I think that's why IB places a huge emphasis on networking. And that's why we organize the, the networking, the networking, the big networking thing we do in, in China. We get everyone there. And, and just go and speak to various recruiters. They come in to get to meet people. And from there, you can build those initial connections that you can follow up on later on throughout the program. Yeah. I guess others can chime in. That's great. And William, I'll go to you next. So maybe talk about the support that you received and, and uh, you know, how, how we supported specifically students coming into Canada to study for the MBA program. Yeah, for sure. Um, couple of things, I think Stanley, again, covered really well already. So I'm going to add like a couple of like colors. So number one, from a school perspective and career management office um, in particular, I think we were provided with a lot of training and coaching for the entire year, especially in the first six months, um, just to get yourself acquainted and, and used to the way that we do networking in Canada, which might be different uh, from some other part of the world. So that could be mock interview, that could be mock networking events, and a couple of other things that I, I honestly can't remember because there were so many at the time. So that's one thing. The other thing is, um, 
I, I moved over from, from, from Asia. And so in Asia, a lot of the time when you do networking, it means that the other person is do, doing you a favor and they don't really get anything in, in the process. Um, but here in Canada, I, um, I feel like there's a lot of uh, things that incentivize um, people to help you out. So it could be because they have gone through the same process, they understand how difficult it is um, to get the first job in Canada. But the other thing when I was at the firm is one of the informal um, metrics that we, would, that we would be evaluated on is how many, how many people, how many talent we bring to the firm. And so that, that kind of in, incentivized alumni to go out and kind of seek those conversations and try to find that next talent. So I, I think those two um, kind of um, flavors that I would add to, to what uh, Stanley just said. That's great. And Arvashi. Yeah, so um, just like William and Stanley said, networking for any international student, I feel is a, is a little scary word because most of the time we have not done it for um, career opportunities. But coming to Ivy, I felt career management gave enough of preparation prepared us enough so that we could make the right moves at the right time. For example, just on the first day of uh, at Ivy, we had a resume and cover letter session, then followed by a LinkedIn clinic and followed by our you know social media. So things like that, they help you at all the smallest of steps that you would need help for. They are always there. And they're very mindful in whatever you need at what point. So we, if we just take the support, all the resources are already there. If we just take help of all those resources, all the toolkits that career management is providing, we can you know, make use of entire networking opportunities pretty well and understand what kind of roles are there in the industry and then make our moves accordingly. So yes, uh, initially networking felt a little uh, scary, but there were enough support and enough opportunities from career management's point that we could successfully maneuver through the entire process. Yeah, that's great. So Ravashi, I'm gonna come uh, back to you just before we close it off. And one of the things I forgot to mention, and, and again, I'll do the recency effect because you just came to London, but one of the things, in addition to the immigration consultant support that we provide, we actually provide you support to settle in London. So there's somebody that works with us called Jody Simpson that kind of helps you get settled, um, helps you find apartment, uh, you know, and, and really what we take very seriously is you're not familiar with London. You're not familiar when you look at what the location is. You're maybe not familiar with what is acceptable rent. How do you look at it? So Ravashi, I'm wondering if you could talk about your experience in, in working with Jody as well and that help and, and how it helped you in settling into, uh, into London and Canada. Sure. So um, Jody, I remember we used to um, bother her up and mail her so many times because there were so many opportunities, so many apartments that we would see. And for every location, we would just mail her that, what about this location? What do you think about that? But she was so supportive, not just she helped us with finding the apartment, finalizing the lease because we had not signed up a lease virtually ever with anyone in Canada. So as international student, that help was so much appreciated. Not just that, but also telling us about how to go ahead with the rental insurance, what should we know about areas, what should we know about localities, where to do our grocery shopping from and picking us up from the first point where we came uh, down from the bus from Toronto. So that was the kind of immense support that we had from her. And even after a month after, because we moved to an Airbnb and then to an apartment. So even after a month, she was in touch with us and always made sure that, how are you doing? And do you need anything? And she also gave us an entire tour of London, which was so, so needed at that moment of time because we were so new, we knew nothing. So she helped us immensely to settle in and know about everything that we needed to know about London at that point. So really, really great help from her. That's great. And so what I'm gonna do is close with one last question. And then I'm gonna turn it over to Lindsay uh, to uh, do the Q&A. So my last question is this, if you think back to the point that you were as you're considering doing an MBA program, going through the application program uh, process at Ivy, what would be your biggest advice, the one thing you would give as advice uh, to every uh, one that's either on this today or listening. So William, I'll go to you. Single yeah. biggest piece of advice. For me, it's, it's one simple thing. Consider your decision holistically. It could be financial, it could be family, it could be location, it could be job size. Everything has to be factored in holistically when you make that decision. Don't compare um, orange to apple. 
because you need to, to make that decision really holistically in order to, to have the best decision for yourself. That's great. Thank you. Urvashi, I'll go to you. Yeah, my one big piece of advice would be don't self-select yourself out. Don't think that um, I might not have the kind of things that IV needs. There are so many, you know, uh, layers to your profile. There are so many things to your profile elements that might be very attractive and you need to work on them and see where your goals are. So just don't self-select out and apply if you want to. That's great. And Stanley. Oh, I wish I knew. Just stay away from the rankings. So just stay away. <laughs> Those things don't help you. You'd, you'd, you'd spend your time doing something better than just pouring over those rankings. They're useless, totally useless, right? It could, you could rank and stack things whichever way you want until the cats come home, right? So stay away from them. I wish I knew before I joined IB, I would have just stayed away from them and concentrated on applying to the school which I chose. Can, can I great. say something? Even if yeah, you go ahead, William. Yeah, even if you consider ranking, IB is on the top as well. Yeah, True. right. True. Thank you. So I'm gonna turn it over to Lindsay uh, for the Q&A. So Lindsay's gonna moderate the Q&A. We've got lots of questions coming in. So I guarantee you we won't be able to get to all of them in our last 15 minutes. So Lindsay will take some of them and theme them up and everything else. The one thing, if you have a question that haven't gotten answered, then make sure to connect with Lindsay, Julia, or Amy, and we'll be, per, uh, you know, be able to provide you that information. But as I see the questions come in, there's no way we can get to all of them, eh, Lindsay? So that's right. Well, I'll do I'll, my uh, best. Yes, there's yeah. some themes, so I'll try to lump them together. And as well, though we're not um, maybe as well known as Stanley with the podcast, we do have some podcasts of our own that might answer some of the questions coming through in terms of putting forward a competitive application around volunteer experience. So um, that's really a great platform to, to certainly look at for some of those questions. But let's try to focus more on the alumni experience today and the theme of uh, today's session. So thanks for everyone who's put forward a lot of questions. I've been quickly jotting them down. Um, to kick it off, one of the themes is, is certainly around the preparation before the first day. So if, if you could comment on, uh, after you received your offer, you've accepted it, great, you know you're enjoying our program. Um, what did you do before the first day to help prepare for the MBA or just in general to sort of before that time when you're gonna be busy for, one, for the one year, what did you, what did, you do? And maybe, um, Urvashi, let's go with you first, if you don't mind chiming in. Yeah, so uh, one biggest piece of advice that I got and I followed was that do nothing, relax, you have your offer. <laughs> and I just made the list of the best places to eat in London. And that's all I did. Best cafes, best coffee. That's all because uh, one year is an intense program. You need to have, gather all the energy that you would need later on. So, William or Stanley, anything else to chime in there on what you did for the first day? I don't have anything new to add, uh, except that I, I, I quit my job and enjoy um, those three months um, at home with, with, with my family and did a lot of travel because you need that downtime. I, I promise you need that downtime. Yeah, for me, I definitely was not studying before the first day, not at all. Okay. You know, just um, thinking of figuring a way, you know, moving the family over and um, enjoying the class. That's it. Now, did any of you take any of the pre IV courses that, that are offered? Yes, I took the, the PKP, um, yeah. which was really good. So I, I actually knew that was coming. So I knew that was going to be a grounder to, to get me into the mood before the program started. So that actually made me relaxed knowing that PKP was happening. Great. Yeah, those are really helpful to have. And, um, you know, most of our candidates, mostly international candidates do arrive, or sorry, global MBA students, um, they arrive in that kind of February timeframe, the one month out. From an immigration perspective, that is really what you're allowed to do for the most part. Uh, so I know that was a question that came through is when do most arrive? Usually we do recommend a February timeframe. There are some that do come a bit earlier. We really don't recommend coming a bit later, I'm sure. I don't think any of the three of you arrived that first week of the program. That is a lot to put on yourself. So give yourself that time to adapt to the city. Though it's not a you know, million populous city, we still are, you know, we're not that small of a town. There's things to figure out and to figure out your, your, where you're going to get your groceries and your transit to campus. So do give yourself some time that way and, and don't make a rush with that. And the pre-Ivy courses also not only help with the cobwebs with academics, but it does also help with getting to know your classmates. Um, and started some of those friendships as well. Um, now, I know you all just answered sort of the, the do's and you did answer, I know Stan, you answered the don't, like don't focus on the ranking side of it. What other don'ts would you put forward to in specific, again, global incoming MBA candidates that don't do this, um, whether you're in the program or before the first day of the program? 
that's a, that's a very good question. That's a really good question. Um, you know, because yeah, most times we focus on the things that we we want to do, but trying to understand the specific things that we shouldn't do, I think that's really important as well. I think you shouldn't really um, spend your time think worrying about if you would land a job or not. You know, come into the program. I don't. I don't think that's the right time to begin to do that. You want to focus on settling into London, relaxing. And knowing that Ivy has done this for a number of years, we have the alumni network to show for it. And we have people who have gone through exactly the same process that you're just about to go through and they have been successful. So don't even begin to worry yourself so early on in the program before you even get to Canada. Am I sure I'm gonna land the job? Don't, don't sweat it. Reserve all that brain power for some other things because Ivy's got you covered. Now that, that's great advice, Stanley. We do, we have a, I mean, we've a well-oiled process here. We know what we're doing. There's an intent behind the strategy of the program. I would say from my own work with candidates and even here from the career team is don't focus on recruiting or networking before the first day. You know, again, part of that, what you should do before the first day is, like you said, take some time off, enjoy your family, enjoy when you can Netflix binge or actually relax and watch TV for a period of time because those days are few and far between once you're in the program. But in particular, all things come with time. I'm sure William and Arvashi and Stanley can speak to a lot of the one-liners and slogans we have uh, during the program, trust the process and uh, you know it depends and there's a lot of those situations. But the one thing is don't start your own recruiting before the first day of the program. Trust that the career management team will guide you through that and give you the advice and tools when it's, when it's time. Um, big questions, though, sorry, a lot of questions around recruiting. So if each of you could comment and uh, William will help, let me, I'll start with you about your first, your post MBA career, when that sort of time of the year, when that happened for you, and if it was facilitated through career management, if it was through your own personal networking or how that came to be. So my first job um, was through career management. So the posting was posted on um, IB career portal, and then I applied through um, that portal. And then during that process, I had um, a couple of conversations with the hiring managers as well as the team that I would be working with if I got an offer. And then honestly, I, I back um, party and, and a lot of the time during that process because I have multiple conversations and interviews coming up. We have like four different rounds of interviews. And then each round we consist of around like three different interview behavioral and case and everything. And, and during that process, career management kind of supported me along the way. When I got out of my, my interview in Toronto for the second round, I emailed Patty and then, hey, here's, here's what I did. Um, do you think it's good or not? Um, I, I was a bit insane at the time, to be honest, because, but, uh, but I received so much support during that process. And, um, and, and I think what career management uh, really did for me is to, to build that self-confidence in myself. Um, it, it sounds weird, but everyone seems to have so much confidence in, in my potential. I didn't at the time. So, so that was some, something that I, I treasure the most from, from the career management team. Thanks. Urvashi, how about yourself? So yeah, just like William, I was also uh, very worried that what kind of opportunity would I get? How would I get it? But it happened pretty early, as a matter of fact. I think I applied uh, by May, and the opportunity was through career management. The opening was listed on our website. So I applied on in May. By June, I had first round. And in August, I had second round and the final offer that I accepted. And career management was my best support throughout the process. I also remember that it was just one Friday, just before the weekend, I emailed Robin that, what do you think about my cover letter? What do you think? And, and she was always responsive. So I'm so grateful for the tremendous support and confidence she showed in me at that moment of time. And everything happened smoothly, but very quickly. So yeah, it was just through career management and um, uh, school's job posting. Great, and Stanley, last but not least. Yeah, for sure. So uh, for, for me, though, I, you know, I finished Ivy and then went and did a startup. So that's another thing. Ivy gives you the, you know, the can-do attitude. I can do anything I wanted to do at the time. So I'm like, okay, I'm not working right now. I want to go do a startup and see how it goes. And I did that for nine months. I'm like, okay, well, maybe not the startup I want to do. Maybe I should get a job. The beautiful thing is I reached out to a classmate. Hey, what do you see going around right now? Can you refer me? And easily, that was how I got into consulting in the first place. So I reached out and then went through and landed a job in consulting. 
And then I, I am on my second job. I reached out to the friend. I didn't reach out. My friend, the classmate reached out to me. Hey, Stanley, we have an opening here. Do you want to switch jobs? And that's how I am on my second job right now. So that network, when we say the Ivy Alumni Network, it's not just because we are alumni, so because we want to prop the, the school to say, hey, it's actually happening, come join us. No, it actually works. And those bonds you form in class, those things actually carry you through, through the process, through life, I think. That's great. You actually answered another question, which is around that whole uh, the network side of it and the networking with them and how that impacts your career you know, beyond the initial one from graduation, because it isn't just about your first career. It's about this continued career progression. Um, now, Urvashi, this won't apply to you because uh, you haven't started your job yet at the, at the bank. But for William and Stanley, can you comment on you know, how you've seen a difference in yourself or how the, the MBA foundations and tools you learned through our program have had an impact in your career? Or, and even just in terms of your, your day-to-day, you, you've seen certain skills really flourish since graduating from the MBA program. Okay, I, uh, I can take a stab at that first. Um, probably because of my line of work, um, um, like consulting. And, and so I, I communicated and worked with um, senior executive on a daily basis. And, and it, it could be overwhelming uh, if I didn't go to IV. So IV with the case method really prepare you for those kind of conversations. So, so I would go as far as saying that IVs prepare you for your career like 10 years, 15 years down the road when you need to have those like high level strategic conversations. Because it's very different between um, being a, a, a person on the ground counting number and a person leading that conversation with the executives. So I will really prepare you for that kind of potential and, and in conversation down the road. No, um, you, you hit the nail right on the head, uh, William. That is, that is true. And I'll, I'll give an example. I was having a meeting yesterday with some senior vice presidents and it was basically uh, you know, about some sort of work I was doing for them. And one of the vice presidents said, hey, Stanley, good job. I could not expect anything less. Now, why I say that is this. The way you, you present things, the way you communicate, having nothing you go through IV is different from someone who hasn't had the same training because it's very structured, right? It's a structured process. You know exactly what things to say. You know how to synthesize large information and bring out the crux of the matter. Some one line that actually means something to an executive. IV helps you because IV will throw cases at you. Like, lots of cases you have to be able to read those cases and synthesize what's really important and that skill you build it takes you through work and i see that coming through every single day as i you know communicate with senior executives and for me it's it's i think the career trajectory is just different having gone through it that's for sure Great. Thank you for that. Uh, thanks for both your insights there. And I know Urmashi, you'll see soon how your uh, MBA skills will impact your career. Uh, last question, we're going to wrap up with you, Stanley. Actually, it's around the support uh, and also would say the integration having your, your spouse and your kids during, during the program. I know there's that balancing act of, again, it's busy when your program, you know, how did your spouse, you know, adjust to living in London and having the kids did she easily interact with other classmates and their spouses? Was there a certain support from Ivy with your own classmates firsthand that was able for her to have her own little network? Because not just were you moving here, not knowing anyone, she was as well. And at least you had the benefit of your classmates at your fingertip. Uh, so if you don't mind just sharing a bit about that, that would be really helpful. Absolutely. So the good thing is I wasn't the only one, right? So you'd think you're the only one with family coming. That's not true. The, the bunch of classmates who came with the families as well, um, you know, the wives, kids, we, we formed a little group of IV family hangouts and things like that. Because like I said before, you know no one else here. The only people you know are those people in your class. You find something in common with each other. And that's what we did with those who had family and kids, you know, play dates for the kids. Time to just hang out. Even when we're in class, some my, my wife friends with the wife of another of, of my classmates, and they would hang out. They would take the kids to the park, you know, at that time. So it it helped. The fact that we had a community actually helped, you know, her transition as well to London. Thanks for that, Stanley. Yes, you're right. Very much as a community feel at Ivy, we've used the hashtag Ivy Family, you know, at times because it does very it does get really close. And I know from this recent class as well that. 
sometimes the spouses got even close, really close to the students themselves. So it is just pretty much a really tight knit community. Being a smaller size and non-commuter school in a smaller size city really does help with that. But uh, we've, we've ended the time here of our, of our slotted session. So I want to thank everyone so much. William, Arvashi, Stanley in particular, really appreciate you carving out some time to share your experiences with us. Um, JD, thank you so much for facilitating this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. There's some really helpful insights for today. And uh, for all of our participants, we appreciate you tuning in. Hopefully you're leaving with a better idea and a clearer picture of, you know, can debunk those myths that you might hear from those different platforms. Uh, please do engage with our team. Check out any more live events off our website. And thanks again for your interest. And we look forward to staying in touch with you.